When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Dreisaitl again. Shoots and scores. There's 50 from the right circle. Harris in the pocket. He's throwing and he's going down the rail. He's got a man open. It is complete. And he's going the distance. Inside the five. Touchdown Eskimos. Ricky Collins Jr. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. I like that Eskimos touchdown call in the intro. Makes me nostalgic. They are skating. The captain skates for the Edmonton Oilers. On the ice, Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins, Neil, Chason, Nurse, Benning, Russell, Cave, Gagne, Kara, Benson, Safin, Archibald, Bear, Yamamoto, Samarukov, Nigard, Haas, Koskinen, Smith, Wells, Skinner, and Starrett. Those guys skating with the informal skates. Uh, training camp will formally start on September 13th. Rookie camp will start on Thursday, September 5th, and the man who will be calling the shots there, the head coach of the Bakersfield Condors, Jay Woodcroft. Jay, welcome back to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Reed. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's awesome to have you on the show again. Uh, obviously, we talked to you and your players a lot throughout last season, and we are getting rolling here again with uh, Oilers rookie camp starting up on uh, on Thursday. You got three goalies, you got 7D, you got, uh, you got 13 forwards, and, and I'm sure you've been talking to some of the players, and pretty exciting time for everybody. Yeah, I think it's um, it's been a good summer. There's a lot of excitement around um, our organization. There's a lot of excitement around our young players and uh, the, the players that, that you mentioned that are coming to, to rookie camp, the 23 players that are going to lay it on the line here in this first week. I think, um, you know, as a coach and our uh, coaching staff, we were talking about it today, it's, it feels like Christmas morning uh, right around the corner. So we're excited about it. You know, you 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 guys had a pretty good season last year. the The win streak was well publicized. I, I know you wanted to go uh, to go deeper in the playoffs, and you did. Of course, what team uh, wouldn't unless you win the championship? But you know, when I look back, I, I characterize it as as a successful year for the Bakersfield Condors. Uh, I, I do want to take a quick look back here, even though we're starting a, a new year, and you've sort of had the summer to to go over some things and and, and set some new goals. How, how do you digest everything that happened last year? Well, I think there's a lot of positives to be taken out of last year. Number one is that our group of um, young players came together and played meaningful hockey down the stretch. We played meaningful hockey deep into the month of May. And I think um, that was a positive step forward for our our organization. The, the Condors hadn't made the playoffs in the American Hockey League uh, since their inception. So that was a step forward. I think uh, 
a lot of individuals uh, took personal steps. There were a lot of career years. Um, the team um, won the division, won the Pacific Division, finished first in the Western Conference during the regular season. They had we had the streak that uh, you'd mentioned. Um, that was a lot of fun. Um, but at the end of the day, I think uh, the experiences that our, our young prospects um, went through during during that season, during that streak, and during that playoff run, I think it, it sets the organization up for success going forward. And like you said, that's last year. For us, it's about 2019-20, and, and this rookie camp is an opportunity for us um, to show how we're going to adapt, to show how we're going to evolve, and to show how we're going to improve. And the way we're going to do that is by taking it one day at a time, and we're going to lay a foundation. And that begins uh, starting on Thursday. Jay, at the start of the last season, uh, Todd McClellan was coaching the Edmonton Oilers. Obviously, you have a longstanding relationship with him. Ken Hitchcock came in. We, we kind of never knew for sure if Hitch was going to be back, and ultimately he's not. Dave Tippett's now the coach of the Oilers, and, and Ken Holland is the general manager. Can, can, what can you tell fans about establishing uh, a, a relationship with those two guys and, and if there's if their philosophies has a have a huge impact on how you have to coach the Condors this season? Well, uh, the good thing is is that I had a prior relationship with both men. Um, I cut my teeth as a young coach in Detroit. I worked three years in Detroit under Mike Babcock's staff there, and obviously Ken Hitchcock was the general manager. We won the Stanley Cup in, in my third year there, and then I moved on to San Jose uh, to go from there. But Ken and I have maintained a, a really good relationship uh, anytime that we saw each other, I felt comfortable. Um, you know, I think that's a feeling that you get when you spend so much time on deep playoff runs like we had in Detroit. And uh, to reconnect with him in a professional capacity, um, I think it's it's really, really positive, and I'm excited to what he's going to bring to the table for the organization. In terms of Tip, Tip and I... Um, we both were assistant coaches on Team North America at the 2016 World Cup, so I have a real good understanding of how he operates, what he values, um, how he communicates, and uh, I had a really good relationship and a very positive experience at that 2016 World Cup in working alongside him, and uh, so I'm looking forward to continuing that. I think you'll see um, congruity and alignment between the way the Condors play and the way the, the Oilers play. There's a very, very similar um, belief system, and we're going to make sure that everybody gets on the same page so that when a Bakersfield Condor gets called up to the Edmonton Oilers, that he's ready um, professionally to produce in the present. And uh, when an organization can do that, I think it's extremely positive. Jay Woodcroft joining us on Inside Sports, head coach of the Oilers AHL team, the Bakersfield Condors. Oilers rookie camp will start with medicals on Thursday morning. Uh, you know, one guy who, who had a very productive season for you last season is is Tyler Benson, uh, obviously an Edmonton native, uh, well-publicized junior and uh, Bantam career, and, uh, you know, now he's moving up through the pro ranks. He's, he's one of the names that, you know, people ask me about, Jay and I talk about, that you know, maybe he's got a shot to make an impact in the NHL this season, whether it's out of camp or, or maybe, you know, he's with the Condors and moves. Who, who knows? But he's one guy that people are looking at. Tell, tell us a little bit about where you think Tyler Benson's uh, game is at coming off a, a very good season last year. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, not only was he one of the top sc- rookie scorers in the American Hockey League, he led our team in scoring down there. He took a huge step in his 200-foot game. Everyone always talks about the points and the vision and the plays that he can make. But uh, just in terms of the subtle little intricacies in his game, his wall work, his decision-making at both blue lines, that came a long way. And, and what he's done, what I, I really like about this player, is that he gives himself every opportunity to succeed. And he does that through um, his work habits. He does it through surrounding himself uh, with top people who can push him in different ways, whether it be skating coaches, strength coaches, nutritionists. He's trying to find anything he can do that's going to give him that little edge to um, fulfill his lifelong dream of playing in a National Hockey League. I think heading into training camp this year, um, he has to be, as well as a lot of other forwards, have to be excited about the opportunity that is presenting itself. Uh, it's sure to be a very competitive camp. And uh, the one thing I like is that is that when it is a competitive camp, I believe that competition brings out the best in everybody. And um, as a player, all you can ask for is the opportunity. He's going to, I'm sure, get a, a very healthy opportunity here uh, over the next few weeks. You have a couple of games with the the Flames rookies. You know that that's not a lot of that, that's not a lot of prep, I guess, to to throw guys together for a game on Saturday and then a game on Tuesday. Though though I know it is some players who were uh, who were with you last year. I'm going to ask a question that has an obvious answer, which is you want to win. So I, I know that. But, but in terms of these games against the Flames, like, what do you really look for? Like, if, if a fan is watching that game, scoreboard means a lot. But what do you really hope to see to think, okay, competition-wise, we're off on the right foot? Well, um, I think the first thing that we have to get across to the players is that unlike development camp, which happens in July, this rookie camp is an evaluation camp. So it's their opportunity to come in and show their skill set to the Bakersfield coaching staff, to the Oilers coaching staff, and to uh, some of our new management group that's up top. I believe our goals heading into these games, but also more than just the games, the, the seven days that we'll be together is what number one we want to establish and then grow our game so uh once we do that as a team we can do that individually we want number two to get the summer hockey out of their games we want to establish good habits right off the bat and the third thing for us is we want to have the mindset of maximizing our daily opportunity we want these players to get better every day We know they're not going to be perfect. It's the first day of rookie camp. What we want to see is effort. We want to see will. We want to see them uh, trying to apply what we're trying to teach them. But with that in mind, we don't want to overcook anything. We're going to, we don't want them thinking things out there. We don't want them overthinking things. We want them to play. And when they play, um, you know, I, I think that we'll be in good shape heading into those two games. Well, looking forward to those. It's uh, it's going to be a fun season for sure. Jay, always great to have you on the show. I, I know we're going to be talking to you and your guys a lot in the months to come, but thanks for kicking it off here on September 3rd. Always a pleasure. I appreciate it, Reed. Have a good night.
That is Jay Woodcroft, head coach of the Bakersfield Condors, who last season finished first in the Pacific Division in the American Hockey League, a 17-game winning streak, propelling them to a record of 42-21-5. They wound up losing in six games in the second round of the San Diego Gulls. Pretty positive year all round for them. I asked specifically about Tyler Benson because I do believe of the guys who were on the farm last year and of the players pushing up, trying to crack the roster I think he has the best chance to uh, make the Oilers if not out of camp maybe to join them later on in the season you can go to my Twitter account at Reed Wilkins R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K-I-N-S and vote for yourself I have four options there which Oilers rookie camp attendee do you think is most likely to have an impact in the NHL this season and of course you can always text 630-630 and call 780-496-0063 we have a lot to get to tonight the Eskimos coaches show with Jason Moss and Morley Scott is from 730 to 8 Blake Dermott is going to break down what he saw in the Eskimos' latest Labor Day loss. He'll join me after the 6.30 news. I also have a very special love letter that we're going to play in about half an hour. My love letter to the end zone on behalf of the Edmonton Eskimos. There have been three times in 11 games this season where the Edmonton Eskimos have not made any sort of connection with the opposing team's end zone. And uh, that's been pretty disappointing. All coming up tonight, Inside Sports on 6.30 Chet. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 6.30 Chad. So Oilers rookie camp Thursday, some of the vets on the ice today as well. I read off that list earlier. It included Oilers defenseman Matt Benning. I was talking to him about his summer. It's been good. Uh, a few teammates' weddings and that sort of thing, and uh, it's good to see uh, the other guys and that sort of thing. Uh, but a lot of time to get ready and uh, and skate and, and get ready for the season. You mentioned the the weddings. There was a photo that was making the rounds from uh, Nuge's wedding. You and a bunch of other guys had the uh, the Keep Nuge Forever T-shirts on. <laughs> How did that come about? Uh, I think it was a mixed, uh, it was a mixed uh, effort there. Uh, John Vanuuk with ATB, uh, he did, uh, he he gave us those shirts. Uh, me and Nuge and Ebbs do some work with him. Uh, it was just kind of something to keep it light. I know uh, that Oilers Nation, they they kind of made those T-shirts, and we thought it was pretty funny. So we snapped a picture, and who knows, you might see that shirt uh, here and there throughout the season. So. All right, good stuff. Well, uh, tell me a little bit about the summer for you watching a lot of the off-season changes. Obviously, Ken Hall and Dave Tippett uh, and some new players. We'll, we'll start with Tippett. I don't know if you've had, had a lot of time to talk to him, but sort of what you expect from him as a head coach. Yeah, it seems like he's very uh, forward-thinking. Um, uh, defense first kind of thing. I think that that's, that's a positive uh, from what I hear from guys. I mean, especially at this camp. Uh, very knowledgeable guy, knows what he's doing. Uh, so I'm excited just being more of a defensive guy, uh, how he can help fine-tune my game and defensively. And then uh, I think the rest of the coaching staff is going to be a huge support as well. Uh, talking with the D coach, um, there's already some things that we want to we want to get get moving on and, and, uh, and establish as, as, as a decor. And uh, there's, I mean, there's, there's quite a bit of time until the first game starts. But, uh, I mean, when you're learning new systems and that sort of thing, it can take a bit of time. So we're real excited. 
Ethan Bears here. Obviously, Caleb Jones played some games for you guys last year. Uh, Bouchard played some games. Uh, they got Lagason, Pearson's coming over. Uh, they drafted Bouchard. Um, it, it seems to me there's more defensemen maybe in, in, in the mix than in, than in other years. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, for sure. I mean, those guys are getting older. Uh, I mean, good draft picks. Uh, they've had a little stint up, up at the club and then that sort of thing. And, uh, I think, I mean, all I can focus on is doing my thing. Uh, it's going to be competitive back there. And, I mean, it's a sign of a good good club. And, and I mean, throughout the season, people are going to go down with injuries and that sort of thing. So it's, it's, good, it's good to have, uh, have, have lots of depth. How did you personally deal with the stuff at the deadline some of the stuff at the draft and throughout the summer where it was well maybe Matt Benning's name is in this trade idea or somebody's talking about this uh, there's a lot of rumors you never know obviously where they're coming from but sometimes someone's name is out there how did you deal with that personally yeah I mean it, it is what it is uh, I mean I've never been traded before so I don't really know how to handle that but it's one of those things that uh, uh, if it happens it happens it's part of the game I mean Everyone gets traded, so it's it's not it's not a shock, it's not a surprise, um, that sort of thing. But uh, obviously, you're you're a little bit nervous, but it's out of your reach. You can't do anything about it. Just play well and uh, make it hard. There obviously was a big trade this summer with uh, James Neal coming in for Milan Lucic. You, you would have played against uh, James in your career already. What do you think you can add up front to the team? I mean, he's he's a shooter. He's he's a good scorer. Um, and that's what he's in. He's a big body that can move, and I think that that's that's important for our club. And and I mean, what people don't realize is he, he is mean. Uh, maybe not as physically and as intimidating as as Luch is, um, but he is he is pretty mean. He's he plays chippy. He doesn't get pushed around. Uh, I know. I mean, I've played him the last three years, and every year me and him kind of go at each other with each other. So just competitive, two competitive guys wanting wanting the puck or wanting to to stop him from scoring. So. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do for us. I mean, uh, like I said, great shooter, um, has played a long time, knows, knows how to play the game. A little bit there with Oilers defenseman Matt Benning as a bunch of Oilers uh, skating uh, informally today downtown. All right. Blake Dermott, your Eskimos analyst. I know we were talked a lot about the offensive struggles on the show last night, but Blake has concerns on both sides of the ball. He will elaborate when we get back. Subscribe to the Inside Sports Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. This is 630 Chad Inside Sports. Pleasure to have you tuning in tonight. The poll question on my Twitter account. You can vote until 8 o'clock. Which Oilers rookie camp attendee? Do you think is most likely to have an impact in the NHL this season? It is indeed Tyler Benson leading the way at 57%. Evan Bouchard, 28. Cooper Marodi, 10. Kyler Yamamoto at 5%. Yamamoto, first-round pick of the Oilers in 2017. 22nd overall, limited by injuries last season. He played 17 games in the NHL, had only two points, had 18 points in 27 games in the American Hockey League for the Bakersfield Condors. But uh, you heard... uh, Jay Woodcroft, talk about Tyler Benson. Definitely a lot of potential there. Benson now 21 years of age. 
second round pick in 2016, 32nd overall, 66 points in 68 games last season for the Condors. He added seven more points in 10 playoff games. Uh, intelligent player, I think good at uh, good at puck protection. Definitely has a chance. Baseball tonight, bottom, uh, pardon me, top of the fifth. It is the Braves leading the Blue Jays two nothing. My name is Reed Wilkins. You can text six thirty six thirty our phone number seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. This is usually the part of the show where I'd uh, play a highlight or two from the most recent Eskimos game. Well, I'm not going to do that because they didn't score a touchdown yesterday in Calgary, losing 25-9. To discuss, to break it down, our in-game analyst, the one and only Blake Dermott. Blake, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Reed. Thanks a lot for having me on. Yeah, good to talk to you. Always good to check in after Eskimos games. And man, oh man, third time this season, they do not score a touchdown. We can't say it's a one-off anymore, Blake, and I'm getting hesitant to say now, that the points are going to come eventually because we're coming up on two-thirds into the season. And, uh, well, some games the points are coming, but but against the tougher opponents, the points aren't coming, the touchdowns aren't coming. Well, and the thing that is is also disconcerning, was concerning is the, uh, is the fact that the defense is getting the ball moved on them more and more. Um, and uh, this was a season high, I believe, 400-plus yards of offense uh, was put on that defense. And, and uh, you know, I think it was Toronto put almost uh, almost 380 yards against them. You know, this is a team that has averaged less than 285 yards a game defensively, and they're starting to get the ball moved on them. And, and the biggest surprise is how teams are moving the ball in the Eskimos and they're moving it on the ground. I mean, Winnipeg, 89 yards passing, but they rushed for almost 200 yards. Calgary's over 200 yards in this game, rushing the ball. And that th- that is is a is a very very tough thing to uh, you know, to be able to accept as players in that locker room. I mean, yeah, they're good against the pass, but uh, but teams are finding ways to beat them that you know that uh, are not what you would normally see in the CFL. I mean, if you have a strong run game in the CFL, you're always going to be a good team. But, but this has typically been a passing league, and uh, and this defense is is really having a tough time struggling, and they're struggling against the run. Well, Philip Lawley, the defensive coordinator for the Eskimos, has made no secret of the fact that he wants to bring pressure. I, I remember him saying when I interviewed him shortly after he got hired that of course he has to adjust the personnel to the personnel that he has, but his default switch is is pressure. I mean, have the good offensive have the good offenses found a way to use the Eskimos' pressure against them to get these running yards? Is there, is there something to that? Well, I think you might have to say that there is. Otherwise, they wouldn't have had the success that they've had recently because one of the things that pressure brings to you, of course, it's a, it can be a gambling type of um, uh, a defense uh, and uh, a strategy. But when, you're, when you look at what Calgary did last game, Calgary kind of sent a suffocating defense at the Eskimos. Um, they got they end up getting a couple of sacks, they, uh, or I think one sack anyway. So they got they got they got pressure themselves, but they were still able to minimize the uh, Edmonton's run game, and they've done that a couple of times now. The first time they played Calgary, uh, Calgary took away their run game as well and, and said, "Okay, you're going to beat us, beat us on the pass." Well, the Eskimos threw the ball a ton, but they didn't beat them, and uh, um, so. 
I think with the defense that uh, Coach Lawley's got going, the, the, he has the personnel to be able to do it, but it's a, it's a different mindset uh, to take away the run. It's, it's about patience, and it's about controlled aggression and all those things, and, and that's what Calgary was able to do to Edmonton. Like you, don't, you, don't, uh, you, you fill lanes, which is what you do. You fill lanes and you squeeze, and then that eliminates any uh, possibility of a quarterback being able to escape, being able to, uh, for a running back to be able to find a seam to run. What Edmonton's defense has done over the last couple of games, and this, this was evident against Winnipeg, and it was certainly evident against, evident against Calgary, was they have got the aggression part down, but in doing so, they are creating seams and lanes within their defensive front. So if one guy gets way upfield and the other guy's you know, being double-teamed at the line of scrimmage, now you've got a five-yard lane to be able to run through. But if everybody's at the same level and every gap is filled – then there's no place to go. And, and that's what Edmonton is, I think, struggling with right now. And, and that's a mindset amongst the players um, to be able to try to, to adjust to that. And, and uh, right now they're really they're, they're having trouble and teams are taking advantage of them. And, and that's not to say that that's going to be something that they can't fix. It's just something that when you've been going like a bunch of wild Mustangs running crazy, it's tough to reel them in and pull them back, and it takes a little bit of time. You know, on the on the other side of the ball, and, and that's the side of the ball, the offensive side, that, that has drawn more criticism for the Eskimos this season. And I started off by bringing up that they, they didn't score a touchdown. And what's frustrating to me, Blake, and, and I'm sure you were in games like this as a player, you know, Calgary, yeah, they got some yards in the first half, but field goal, punt, field goal, missed field goal. I mean, I mean the game was there for the Eskimos to have a lead or may, maybe establish some momentum or put Calgary on their heels a little bit. Like, like I felt that, you know, maybe Calgary wasn't finishing some drives and was letting Edmonton off the hook, but then Edmonton would let Calgary off the hook right back. And, and, and that's, that's concerning to me too, because, you know, like the previous game against Winnipeg, they kind of are playing catch up and you go to the half down and you go to the half feeling like you know you're the team that needs a lot to go right as opposed to being the team that feels like they're controlling the game and sort of had that feeling of of running downhill and that's what I really found frustrating yesterday it was you know six three seven three but I never felt the Eskimos were one good drive away from taking control of the game because they haven't proven that they can come out and deliver that one good drive. No, and, and, and that's, a, that's a good point. And, and part of it is, let's face it, I think Calgary had a very good sound game plan against the Eskimos. Calgary came in, uh, you know, uh, off a bye. Um, so they had lots of time to rest. They had lots of time to, uh, to you know, they had Bo Levi come out and play uh, as, as sound a game as he's played in a while. And uh, so there, and there was a certainly an... Uh, um, uh, they were motivated because they got Bo Levi back in the game. But you're right. There has been a trend by teams to figure out what the Eskimos are doing offensively. And, and again, there was, there's been opportunities that the Eskimos leave on the field. And that's frustrating. You know, when you, when you have a ball hit, or not only go through a receiver's hands, but hit him in the face, um, that's not a uh, that's not a, a problem with the player, the play called, or the execution of the play by almost everybody else on the field, but the guy catching the ball. Um, they called the play for a touchdown, and uh, the ball was thrown behind the receiver. I think it was Collins again. The ball was thrown behind him on his back hip. When if he throws it to the front, 
then then it's a touchdown late in the game. And again, that's not a problem with the play call or the the uh, the, the route that was run by the receiver because he ran the right route, found himself open. But the execution of the play is the problem that the Eskimos are having. And I think so much of their problems right now is just that the execution of the plays that are being called, and that's difficult. And and you know, and I I, I hear people all the time say, oh, I don't know how many times, ah. Oh, they got to get rid of the coach. They got to get rid of this. They got to, you know, the, the thing is, folks, is, is that that's not the easy thing to do. And at this point in the season, at this point in in um, the the Eskimos' uh, tenure with uh, with or Jason Moss' tenure with the Eskimos, I don't see that as a solution. I see the problem being the players have not adjusted to what. Teams play differently at the beginning of the year to the way they do at the end of the year. Uh, personnel gets a little bit more comfortable. Personnel gets to know each other. And the Eskimos started out relatively well offensively with a, with a good group of guys, highly motivated. And now teams are catching up to them. And defensively, what teams are doing to them is, is giving problems to the Eskimos. And the Eskimos have to be able to make the adjustments. And, and those are player issues. Those, are, those aren't coaching or management issues. Blake Durbett, our Eskimos analyst, joining us tonight on Inside Sports. Edmonton now down to 6-5 and five after their eighth straight Labor Day loss in Calgary. Along the lines of adjustments throughout a season and things a team might be working towards, Blake, take me back to your playing days, and specifically as an offensive player. Would the playbook grow as the season went on, would, or would maybe the playbook shrink and you say, like, okay, these are the plays we're good at, or, or would you say, okay, you know, we have some plays that we know are, are going to work, but we're not going to unveil those until later in the season, so there's less film. Like, I'm just curious how that would sort of evolve throughout the year. Oh yeah, like I would guess that the uh, every professional team goes into a goes into a season with, with let's say with with the different formations. I mean, you may only they may only have thirty names of plays, but with formations and combinations and motion and everything else, that number can probably grow to you know maybe a hundred and twenty different plays. Okay, and uh, and and some of those plays are, are put in earlier in the year in training camp and that, and they're shelved because you're not going to use them unless you're you're seeing somebody that's doing something that you can it will allow you to take advantage of. But every game that uh, I I would imagine every game that the uh, the coaching staff is probably putting in potentially two to three plays that somebody hasn't seen before, because you're trying to take advantage of what. They, what they do, you have ten, you see tendencies that a team will have, and there's going to be something new for every team that you play in every game that you play. You don't go in with something static. You, if you do, then you know if you're not if you're not growing, you're dying, kind of thing. And and so the, so every team will do that. And Calgary would have done that this last game. They would have shown stuff to, to Edmonton. Maybe that's one of the reasons why they had the success that they did on certain things. And and Edmonton would have had things for Calgary. And obviously they did. They weren't as successful as the Stampeders were. But but yeah, you have to be. You have to constantly be creative, and uh, and so by adding new plays, when you're adding new plays and new new concepts into a into a, uh, a system, and you're bringing new players onto that system that maybe haven't played in a while, then then that creates a big issue, you know, because then there's it increases your potential for mistakes. But I mean, I look at Edmonton. Edmonton really only added two guys, and Matt O'Donnell moved up to tackle, and uh, um, and I think they I can't remember who else they added. Um, uh, because they took out uh, one of the defensive backs, but they only added a couple guys from the game before, where Calgary had eight new players on the roster. Eight guys who didn't play the week before. So whatever concepts they put in, they put in the concepts, and they were able to grasp them better and perform them better and execute them better than what the Eskimos did. 
All right. Well, we'll see if the Eskimos can uh, bounce back. They did last year in the Labor Day rematch. In well, we should we should close off here, Blake. I, I, I mean, I, I don't want to do a huge re- retrospective on a game that wasn't even a year, a year ago. But I I said last night. I've had Eskimo season tickets since 1997 and have been watching CFL since I was four or five years old. Last year's 48-42, like that might be one of the greatest games ever played at Commonwealth. That was that was such a wild game. It was, and, and, uh, and Calgary had an opportunity to win that game on the last play of the game. Uh, it was knocked away as the receiver was falling to the ground. So, no, I... I anticipate, I mean, this This is an Eskimo team now, and we, and we made this comment last week that they haven't beat a good team yet. And uh, this is a, it's probably eating at those guys in the locker room, and certainly the, the coaching staff and the players are going to put a lot of emphasis on breaking this string and getting back on track because the reality is nobody thought the Eskimos were going to, and all the good teams in the league, I thought a 12-6 and six record was going to be a possibility of being in first place, and I still believe that. The Eskimos are 6-5. and five. That means they just got to go on a hell of a run here at the end. And I know that after Labor Day in 1993, we went undefeated after Labor Day, so it can happen. And and uh, we were in trouble at the, uh, at the, at the halfway mark, but uh, we went on a run and won the Great Cup. And I think that this group, and I've said this from the beginning of the year, this group personnel-wise has, is the best group on paper personnel in the league. they got to figure out how to, how to use it now. Blake, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Enjoy the game on Saturday. I will. Thanks a lot, Reed. Blake Dermott, our Eskimos analyst here on 630 Chet, former player with the organization. So uh, a lot of struggles to discuss. Uh, I I mean, we we, uh, did Inside Sports last night, took a lot of calls, took a lot of texts. The large majority of the complaints about the offense, including coming from me, so I definitely put myself in that group, but Blake did a good job there breaking down some defensive concerns over the last couple of weeks as well. I got to thank Lambeau for texting into 630-630 during the uh, interview. He uh, did a stat here saying that under Jason Moss, the Eskimos are 10-17 and 17 against teams over 500. I'm going to assume that that is teams who finish the season 500 and uh, teams who are 500 at this point of the year. I don't think he means that that was their record at the time the Eskimos played them. Well, either way, it's uh, it's not good. And that's been their, their problem the last... Well, yeah, I guess I guess you can almost say three and a half years. They've uh, they've been able to beat up some teams, but they haven't been able to win a lot of close games against other good teams. Those those teams those games that might really make the difference between winning nine games or eleven games, or being on the road for the postseason, or hosting a playoff game. Good stuff there from Lambo. The six thirty six thirty. Well, we're gonna throw a little love at the Eskimo struggles. Well, sort of. I will have a love letter to the end zone when we get back. You're listening to 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Hey, here's something cool. One week from tonight, we will have a live hockey broadcast on 630 Chad. I'll do Inside Sports for an hour. Then at 7, we'll have Jack Michaels and Bob Stoffer calling the Oilers' rookie game from Calgary. Now, on Saturday, we have the Eskimos rematch against the Stampeders. 3.30 countdown to kick off. The game will start at 5. The Oilers play a rookie game in Red Deer at 7 o'clock against the Flames rookies. I'll be going to that, so you can watch my Twitter account, the 630Ched Twitter account, 630Ched.com, for the updates on that game. Of course, Oilers rookie camp starts on Thursday. We had Bakersfield Condors head coach, 
Woodcroft on earlier. He will be running the rookie camp. As for uh, the Eskimos, uh, I updated the stat here. Well, I mean, I didn't update it. I, I looked up the updated stat. I, I'm not keeping stats for the Canadian Football League, Kellen. Let's <laughs> clarify that here. I'm, it's not me with yeah. my pencil. Oh, what, two, two yards? Three? Well, two and a half? Do I round it up or round it down? Um, mm-hmm. The uh, updated... Red zone stat for the Edmonton Eskimos. They have had 32 trips to the red zone. They have 14 touchdowns. That is 44% touchdown success rate in the red zone. Eighth in a nine-team league. Ottawa is last at 38%. Uh, the only thing that helps the Eskimos' red zone percentage a bit, they they did have a late-game kneel-down situation against BC where they were in the red zone, but obviously didn't need to try to score any further. So if, if you want to be generous, 14 out of 31 which bumps it up a little bit, but still not good enough. As we uh, have been talking about, three of their 11 games this season, they have not scored a touchdown in a fourth game, the game a week and a half ago against Winnipeg. They didn't score a touchdown until late in the fourth quarter when really the the game was more or less out of reach. I, I, uh, you know, I know they kind of made it semi-interesting against Winnipeg if they would have got the onside kick, but uh, the chances were pretty slim. So three games without a touchdown, a fourth game where they almost went the entire game without a touchdown, and, and that one didn't have much consequence. So on behalf of the Edmonton Eskimos, I have written a love letter to the end zone. Dum, 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 dum. end zone i love you and i miss you it seems like we used to spend more time together but now whenever i get close to you i get turned away Only the what will it take for you to let me into your life again i've tried making passes at you i've tried running towards you but nothing seems to work and i'm just left kicking myself Oh, Endzone, we've had some pretty special times in the past. Remember that weekend in Toronto? But then when we were in Calgary or Winnipeg, you treat me like I don't even exist. I want to be clear here, Endzone. I find you beautiful. You're the best part of a football field. I love your straight lines and 90-degree angles. To me, you're a perfect six. Points, that is. But it's like to you, I'm only worth three. End zone, I'm going to be on the brick field at Commonwealth Stadium on Saturday. I'm going to be practicing all week so I can impress you. So please, please, let me in. Only the That's my love letter to the end zone on behalf of the Edmonton Eskimos. And on that note, well, let's give away tickets to the game. We have two four-packs of tickets, so we will have two winners, 780-496-0063. You will not have to answer this question live on air, but you will have to tell Kellen Kennedy the answer. Who was singing the song that was playing under the love letter? Who was singing the song playing under the love letter 780-496-0063 top of the sixth in atlanta 
Blue Jays now trailing the Braves 4-0. Hey, I got to hand it to Quentin Eberts. Great program. Pay it forward with football. They want to send somebody deserving to the Grey Cup. You'll find out how when we get back after the 7 o'clock news. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.